I think it is going to be another golden age. And I think to your point, it's the companies that really understand that the way we had done things in the past is not the way forward. It's really about understanding holistically, thinking holistically. It's about systems thinking, systems design, and understanding that the planet is more, it's not just about humans. You know, it's about the whole planet. And I think that's the opportunity. Welcome to 1.5 Media and Innovators Magazine. This is Inside Ideas. I'm your host, Mark Buckley. And this is a multi-format uh, video podcast that's also distributed throughout all the podcast channels, Apple, Google Podcasts, as well as Spotify and many, many others. Basically, we, we set this up in a very uh, specific way that it's a deep dive dialogue discussion between me and my guest. Today, my guest is the wonderful Jeremy Ty Abbott, and we're going to try to get into um, a dialogue that removes biases, that gets into the depth and substance of, of different topics that we're feeling at this moment in time during during this pandemic, uh, but also on uh, emerging technologies, sustainability, environmentalism, global food reform, regenerative practices, and some really emerging and uh, systems themes that we've had around for a long time that we really need to, to bring out, focus in on, and transition to in this great resetting, you know, so we'll talk about some sense making, we'll, we'll talk about um, different uh, tools that we can use. And that brings me to my guest today, Jeremy Ty Abbott is an American designer, and maker of delightful interactions between people's machines and culture. He was born in Vietnam and raised in Minnesota. He now lives in my hometown or my city where I live in Hamburg, Germany, in northern city of Hamburg. Jeremy's interest in design was piqued at an early age by his parents uh, who did landscape arch uh, architecture and uh, a psychologist. Uh, while his curiosity for world building was a result of many hours of playing and the original 80s classic role-playing game Dungeons and Dragons, which I played as well, uh, an obsession with skateboarding. Um, these highlights uh, later included skating and, and uh, a demo with Tony Hawk, laying down silky smooth grinds and being in Thrasher magazine. And in 1996, Jeremy founded a design agency called the Fork Unstable Media. Um, obviously from the sound of it, Fork, there was a lot of focus on food, uh, um, media and things as well as many others. Um, he was a creative partner uh, developing work for companies such as Navia, Lufthansa, Daimler, and Wired Magazine to name just a few. Uh, Jeremy also spent four years at Google as a creative evangelist and co-founded a multidisciplinary studio Truth Dare, Truth Dare, Double Dare, and was founding postgraduate at Interaction Design Institute, Evira, if I'm saying that right. 
Thank you so much for being here, Jeremy. Uh, I hope you can hear me and, and uh, I'm so excited to have you. We've been not friends a lifetime or a long time, but uh, I think about 2014, maybe two, yeah, around that time, maybe 2013 was our past kind of crossed. Is that right? That sounds about right. I think we met at, was it Italy or Austria? I'm not quite sure. Somewhere in Europe, though. Yeah, we, we definitely didn't meet here in Hamburg. That came much later where we sat down and had, had a, a coffee at a nice Jewish cafe, Jewish uh, coffee shop uh, uh, here in Hamburg, where we actually uh, got the time to settle down and talk and engage with each other. Did I leave anything out in your, your biography that you would like the listeners to know uh, about you? Um, that was all? pretty complete. I think, uh, I mean, if, if I hear, heard it correctly, it sounds pretty complete. I mean, I am married. I have two, two children, but that's, you know, and a cat now. One of them passed away. We used to have two cats. But, um, Sorry to hear that. That's about that. Yeah, it's been a little while. So, yeah. Well, Jeremy, we, we, uh, we've, as we've seen each other on the road, um, uh, at speaking engagements, at different events and workshops that we've done. It's very unique because our paths usually cross early in the mornings. You get up early and go out running uh, also to discover and do, do some drone work. You go out and do some drone flights. We'll maybe combine that with your running. And I'm usually either coming back or going out uh, for my early morning coffee, vitamin, exercise routine myself. And uh, so we uh, usually pass on the stairs because we don't take the elevator. We're passing each other on the stairs. So um, I, I wanted you on the show because uh, you're a very unique, creative talent. And um, about not even a year ago, uh, we saw each other. We passed each other when you were with your, your child. You were going to a Fridays for Future demonstration in Hamburg, and you were walking one way towards the, the one of the stages in, in the Fridays for Future demonstration or a day off of school for, for the kids with your, your child. And I was uh, walking the other way to, to a, a, an environmental meeting, actually, uh, same thing. And um, what, what drew you? To, to take your child, what, what do you feel about this, this movement Fridays for Future and what is your stance and place in, in what's going on around the environmental climate uh, movement? It's, a, it's an interesting question because I grew up, you know, I was born in the early 70s and if I remember correctly, there was imagery and things around uh, like this peace movement and stuff. I mean, we were getting beyond the hippie stage and stuff. So I think now if we fast forward to now, this Fridays for Future, it's a different generation that is concerned about it. Whereas we've gone through so many decades of people not really uh, caring. You know, I think people care like yourself, but I think it's hard for people to really understand what does that mean? If I care for something, how do I take action? And I think now with this, this movement, the Fridays for Future, although it's not new, this idea of going out and, and demonstrating for what you believe in, I think it's really strung a, strung a chord with a new generation. And I think that is the big difference now because 
before it was people would say, yes, global warming is an issue. We've had Al Gore talk about it and really being an advocate for how can we, how can we really understand what that means. But for the most part, people didn't change their behaviors because life is comfortable. And as, as human beings, we like to live in comfort. But I think that you need a new voice, a new generation, a new perspective to really spark this creativity and this imagination and this, this sense of action. And I think that's what, for me, Fridays of Future is really about. So it wasn't a coincidence that I was there when I met you on the street with my child, because in the end, they're going to, the next generation are the, the ones that are going to have to live through what we're doing. And I think that is really about what Friday for Future is about. It's about, it's not about asking for uh, permission to go out, it's striking. And that's what the whole premise is, right? We're going to take Friday off um, and we might not have permission from the, the authorities, the school authorities, but we want to do it because we believe in it. And that's what people do when they strike. They don't do it because they want to stay comfortable. They do it because they understand that what they have in front of them is going to be uncomfortable. You're, uh, you, you strike me as someone um in our past exchanges that has extreme discipline and ethics and um, not only around work, but uh, are you, are you an activist? Are you a striker? Are you somebody who um, likes to kind of be in the controversial edge or has the surroundings of our environment or world, the way things have developed in the last 10 years uh, for us um, kind of pushed you in that direction because of, one, one reason or the other? Yeah, I think it's really a question of how we choose to live our lives. And if, if I look at the both of us, you and myself, we're both expatriates, we're expats. We decide to live in a country that for the most part, we didn't grow up in. You have some relatives here, perhaps. I had um, actually my grandpa, because I'm adopted, my grandpa was actually fought against the Germans in World War II. So mm -hmm. that was a, some of a history, but like I was saying, it's really that we're here as expats, that makes us unique. And what that means is, I think when it comes to understanding perspectives, what's interesting is not in the middle. So a lot of times people like to stay in the middle of things, but what's interesting are the edges. And I think as long as you stay on the edges, that's where the interesting things happen. And I think as an expat, just by choice, by us living in a different country, by choice, we decide to have a different perspective and live differently. So I wouldn't say I'm like a, an activist per se, I, but I definitely act upon what I think is important, whether it's uh, Fridays for Future, global warming, the current uh, issue um, that has come to rise, but it has always been an issue, which is Black Lives Matter, yes, the social and economic justice. I think those are really important things. And I think the ability for us to go out on the street and really share our voice that is the difference between someone that decides just to post something on Facebook, you know, or on a social network. And that's where you have to get people. You have to get them so excited that they get off their devices and become a little bit uncomfortable. Because as you know, you've been in a situation with, where you're maybe at a protest and you're obviously among with, other, with people that with like minds, but you're still a very small group of people in the whole scheme of things. That, that's absolutely for sure. So you bring up a, a unique thing. So it's not just the, the environment and the climate, uh, although I, I believe that's the, the big, 
the big uh, elephant in the room, but it's also the pandemic. It's also Black Lives Matter. And um, how has this time affected you? How has it affected your family, your work, your life? I, I, the, the reason I ask is because I know you're kind of a nomadic. You're very creative. You uh, have this entrepreneurship spirit, social entrepreneurship spirit and creative mind and, and like action. And so uh, how, how has it affected you and, and what, what is it doing? Uh, give me a kind of a, a, a look into your life uh, during this time. Yeah, it, it's a great question because it kind of goes back to your original question two t a few moments ago with this idea of an activist. I think, it, and it goes back to my answer of being on the edges. I think deciding to work for myself. So um, right now I work for myself. I consult for companies and things, but I used to work for companies like Google or other companies like that. And I just prefer to have my own I guess, roof over my head and really have my own autonomy. And so I think this idea of, or the reality, it's not even an idea, this reality that we're in, we're work from home. It's something I've been able to adjust to. Obviously it's a little different when you have uh, kids at home and they don't go to school and they don't have a program. So you have to balance that, but it creates more empathy for people that just are single parents, for example, or just have to work by themselves. I think for single moms or single parents, it really does show how much more work it is, you know? And I think in that regard, COVID has been an empathy builder. Um, it has created just a different perspective to how some people actually live their lives. Work from home is not the way it is now when we have to be at home and the kids are also from home. Work from home for me means that you can stay at home, but you can go into the office. Right now, everybody has to stay at home for the most part. And that makes it a little bit different. But as far as, resetting my my day-to-day -day. of course i've had a lot of things get canceled or a, a number of things but i've been able to adjust i think during this time if you haven't been upskilling yourself learning new skills trying new things out then it's really a lost cause because this is the best time to upskill and try different things out because it really gives you the, the 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 time to try things out whereas before if you had worked for somebody You'd always have to go into the office and do things, but now you can do both if you're so motivated to do it. I, I, I truly believe, and, and tell me if I'm wrong, that you know we're, we're kind of both these futurists. Uh, we're used to the, the future of new work on how we work from home, remotely, everywhere, uh, creative, be able to take the tools on the road or, or wherever we're at, and that that this time we probably had the tools already that, that we could quickly adjust and continue um, what we were doing and, and be fine. Sounds like I'm glad that you readjusted. I just recently had a podcast with Tomas David Barrett and uh, we talked about this uh, human zoos. He has a show called Human Beasts uh, that he talks about behavioral psychology. But uh, this human zoo is what we've kind of now during this lockdown phase these uh, four walls or these walls, these homes, apartments, places where we live have now become truly a place that we see a lot more of. And, and um, we're, we're, we're a little bit more confined, but it's actually our, our human zoo. So now we've, we've seen th some things around uh, 
issues with, with children. How do you educate your children while they're at home? Do you have multiple computers? Do they do online learning? Is that out the window when you have to educate them somehow or entertain them? Is that a, is that a good transition? Are you pulling out your hair? Um, uh, as well as, you know, the, the, uh, during this time you hear um, a lot more domestic violence rise, more yelling through the walls, people who just can't handle 24 seven with each other, even though they are your loved ones, because it's, we're now in this human zoo that we've created for each other. And how is that the right uh, uh, um, environment for us to, to be 24 seven locked up or, or in uh, for a majority part of the time? So the, the question is, um, in, in that respect, uh, uh, some things that I did during this pandemic that 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 lead to that was a, a quest. It's a 30-day quest called Earth School. It was specifically for parents who have, and you know, I'm a grandpa and have adult children that have kids at home to teach them about activism, environmentalism, about the issues of our day, what what's going on. And that was in conjunction with the UN and, and TED education. 34 million views in the first couple of days, uh, um, unbelievable just success. But that was a tool that we could say, hey, here's half on, on the computer time to educate your kids and the other half is now outside of that. With that nomadic and futurist that you already have those tools, did you do you feel that there's a transition that uh, you had to go to or others that you consult or friends who really needed that help that maybe didn't know how to work in the future, never did video cameras before or online Skyping and Zooming and things like that? How, how did that transition work for you and how did you help others during that time? Yeah, that's a great question because I think life is really about transition. And it's for me, it's really less about the tools because if you don't have the tools, you can make the tools. I think if you're so inclined or you have the connections to make those tools. So for me, it was really about, you know, when, when this whole thing happened, it was really about understanding what is the mindset that, that enables you to try things out. This curiosity mindset, this bias towards action. And I think that is more important than the tools. The, it's, thank goodness the tools are there that we have and the tools keep getting better. But if you don't have the correct mindset, this growth mindset, this idea of, okay, I don't have everything I need. So I need to learn. I need to grow my mind versus a fixed mindset where people just think, Hey, you know, if I don't have it, I'm not going to do it. You know, I can't change. Uh, I like to compare that to, I don't know if you're a, a Harry Potter fan, but in Harry Potter, I'm there's two. It. Yeah. There's two characters. There's one, there's, Hermione Granger, and she has a very growth mindset. You know, she's, to call her, you know, she's uh, always learning and try things out. And then there's the, the uh, contrast to her is Malfoy, and he's like the, the villain. He's the blonde-haired, um, rich kid, so to speak. And he yeah. just thinks, uh, you know, I got everything taken care of because my, my parents have the money and I, I don't need to learn anything. So I think if you have that kind of mindset in any kind of situation, then you're not going to go places. So you have to have this growth mindset. And I found during this whole situation at home, I was able to adapt to it because I was used to video conferencing and trying things out and learning things. And I was even, my wife is a professor. 
And as you can imagine, they had to also reschedule or redo how they teach. Yeah. And I think she was a little bit anxious at first, but it worked out great. She just, we just talked because the semester just ended and she said she had great feedback, the mix between online learning and then towards the tail end, they had some face-to-face -face, uh, classes that they held. Um, that was great. And she had great feedback. So I think it's, and some people talk about age, you know, if you're younger, people can adapt earlier or better versus older people, but that is ageism, you know, that's, yeah. so it's, for, it's less about age. It's really about this mindset. And I find if I look at some of the teachers and how they adapted teachers that my, my kids had, some were able to adapt really well and they did very well at teaching online. And some just, you know, it just was like, uh, it was a big yeah, struggle. It was, it was a very, struggle. Yeah, it was a big struggle. Yeah, it was. So it is like you said. I think it also it's a balance between this online discourse that we can have, which is great. It's really about scale, but the personal, physical being there—that is the this, this that can't be replaced anytime soon either. Yeah, the physical space interactions, the hugs, the smiles, the exchange, even the energy yeah. and, and smiles in the same room. Seems like you you guys weathered very very well. I I am glad to hear that, but it's all also unique. I'm surprised to hear that it was kind of a transition and a, it was an adjustment that you that you guys had to make. I know in our past conversations you've you've applied some of the things and uh, with, with your children before some of the creative bots and tools and, and, and uh, photography and AI and, and different things that w with your kids and your family. I'm sure they, you know, not only photography and many other things that you do so that they, they have a great um, example to kind of know what, where, where the future is going and what's going on. So they were probably pretty well prepared. Uh, that struggle for you or that transition, that kind of uncomfortable phase, why was that? What, what, uh, is there anything you can put your finger on why, why it was that way? Yeah. I mean, for me personally, it was okay because I don't have that much of a routine. I mean, I do go, I have a routine like a morning routine. I go jogging and stuff, but then it's pretty open. I think for people that have a routine, like my, my kids and even my wife through her being a professor, there's a routine, you know, you go to school, you learn from, eight till or nine till three you come home and then whatever but that was gone in the beginning and so that that kind of changed the whole game you know and i think it makes us stronger actually as, as humans and and hopefully as as a as the world it even made amazingly enough you know as everybody was having cabin fever stuck inside the environment got better and we see all these things oh now you know you'd see uh, photos from in India, now they can see far away in the Himalayans and all the, the smog got rid of it. So it's almost like, it's almost like we were, it was a zoo and we got stuck in our cages, which are our homes. And the zookeepers were, was mother nature, you yeah. know, saying, you guys stay inside now. We're going to try to heal ourselves a little bit out here and we'll see how you guys do. And I think it's, it's somewhat ironic, you know, we build these homes and and things for ourselves, but in, in the end, nature wins out, you know, I mean, nobody could predict that, I mean, there was predictions with COVID that there was some yeah. gonna, something going to happen, but that's just a prediction. Nobody could really understand what, how people really react to it. And I think in Europe, and especially in Germany, we're very disciplined as a, as a culture, and we've done well, whereas in the U.S., you know, they have the freedom for all, let's go out and uh, 
maybe listening to some news and not and some leaders and now if you look at the charts they're just off the charts they're they're one of the worst countries dealing with this whole pandemic so yeah. i think i mean back to your question i think there is a bit of a transition for everybody and for me it's just about understanding routine and i think sometimes you need a routine and and it's important as, as a human to have some of a somewhat of a routine but creativity for me is also being outside of that routine it's trying something else out and i think the situation lent itself you know everybody's going to try something out because nothing is normal and i don't think we're going to go people say the new normal this is definitely not the new normal this is just the way things are until the next thing you know so i think there's this uh, quote from gibson the author the future is here it's just not evenly distributed and you asked about the future and i think it's really about that some of us choose to live in the future you know, like artists and, and yeah. creative filmmakers and futurists, they actually understand, okay, what's happening now and how do we push that out into how we want to live and write a story about it. And, and some people just like to live in the past. So it's really a question of how do we deal with that and how do we deal with change and transition and understanding what's happening in the world. You, you also have a podcast called uh, The Learning Economy, which is uh, getting a nice start and and uh, I was exactly. fortunate enough to be one of the first people on there and had a wonderful uh, discussion with you um, what made you decide that to choose the learning economy what's the that the thought process behind that is is that because you 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 feel that's where our future really needs to be kind of a new learning economy yeah I mean if you look at the economy now it's really based on uh, and consumption, it feels like, right? I mean, we're in a huge recession now. In the US, they're giving out like 600 euros or $600 per family. Hope, hope, hopefully thinking, I'm thinking they think that it'll stimulate the economy because people will go and buy things. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is, I don't think it's not sustainable, this, this com consumption culture that we live in. So for me, a really strong economy is economy that can learn from its mistakes and do things differently. And I think that's for any company or any person. So it's not about what you know, it's about how you learn, how quickly you can learn and apply that learning. And I think that's something I like to instill in my, my children. You know, grades are important and it shows that you can work within a system if you get good grades. But what's more important than the grades is how you adapt to that system and, and are able to thrive and help other people. And I think that is the real learning. So for, for me, the this idea of the learning economy for a podcast is, you know, I meet so many interesting people every year, like yourself. That's why I wanted to interview um, other people. And I just, their stories, they untap this, this learning, this, this deep desire to understand and do things differently and apply them. And for me, it's really about, uh, it's an economical uh, way of approaching things is how do, how well can you learn and apply what you learn to, to thrive and help others thrive? Thank you. I, the, it's going to transition a little bit more and more with some, some harder questions. So if, if you don't know, or if I'm put you on the spot, just pause and let me know. We, uh, uh, we've kind of had a nice lead up to, to the first question. It's the burning question, WTF. And most people think it's a swear word, but it's not. It's what's the future? So we've been talking about the future that's kind of happened to us and we've been uh most people are waiting for the future to happen to them and not being active as as someone who's very active and creative 
what is the future? That's a really great question, a very difficult question because the future is, has so many different facets to it. I think for me, the future is one that is equitable for everyone. And that, that puts in, that means it's in direct confrontation to what we know now, because what we know now is definitely not equitable for everyone. And the, the other question is, is that even possible? You know, if, if I'm able to thrive, can someone else thrive? Can animals thrive? Can other ecosystems thrive? I don't know. I think that's the goal. I think ideally that's the goal. I definitely don't believe in a utopia because if there's a utopia, that means someone is someone or something is losing out in my opinion, but I don't yeah. think it's a dystopia either. I don't see these, these scenarios where we have something like robots taking over humans or whatever it might be. But I think it's really about understanding. It's about a lot about self-reflection and understanding what do other, you know, if I do something, what is the result of that to other people and other societies and other things? So I think it's really about being able to, thrive in a world where everyone and everything thrives which sounds very utopian and idealistic and that, and i think as we move along technology helps us change how we live our lives it's not the only things humans have to want to do that themselves but technology makes it easier for some things to happen an example of this a really bad example sure i don't know we grew up i think in the 70s right and we knew yeah. there was and previously or in that time, there was this really huge oil crisis. And at some people, at some time, people said we're going to have peak oil. And maybe, and there, I think there was a peak oil. But then, for better or for worse, scientists and people came up with this idea of fracking, which is terrible for the planet. Horrible. But all of a sudden, oil is not an issue, really. Because you can just, you know, you can drain, you can wring it out of the, the planet, which is terrible. Yeah. But it changes the whole situation you know it's changes the whole economics of the world when all of a sudden we're not reliant upon one natural resource or we are still about oil yeah. but not just one single country that provides that resource so i think what's interesting is what other new technologies can we apply that makes it more equitable for everyone and everything there's so many new technologies out there that just far surpass anything of fossil fuels and long-term success of uh, where we get, get and meet our energy needs. We just need to really make that transition. Um, I, I truly am I'm with you with uh, the future uh, as one that needs to be equitable, uh, have a balance that is equitable for all um, because it is a planet for everyone. Um, that, that brings me to the World Economic Forum came out um, last month with the great reset that it's not going back to business as usual that we call it the great reset and uh, um, do you believe that there's currently a global model out there a plan that gets us uh, to the next 10 years to the next uh, 20 years uh, that uh, you know one leader one plan out there for us that's a really difficult question because to be honest, I, I'd go beyond my knowledge in this. And I think you're probably more knowledgeable about that. I think there are areas that have definitely interesting aspects, but they're all like, 
the only thing I could think of are like the very back in the day, the Native Americans, the way they lived on the land. You know, they, you know, they didn't, they didn't farm the land. They just, you know, they, uh, they were nomads basically for the most part. I think that's an interesting aspect, but obviously that's not scalable or sustainable for everybody. I'm not quite sure if there is just one singular view. And I think that's one reason we have these collectives like the World Economic Forum or the UN or different things, because it's really about having a diverse viewpoints and diverse perspectives that makes it more open and compelling for an equitable future. Because if, because if it is just one point of view, then it becomes, it can become a little bit lopsided can be a little bit scary. And I think you always have to be challenged on that view, whatever that view is. And I think great leaders understand that and they understand they don't have all the answers, but a lot of leaders from the past think they know everything. And that's when it becomes a little bit scary. Yes, totally. The, the big thing is with, uh, with our discussion, if you ever want to ask me the same question back or put me on the spot, if I ask you a diff difficult question, please feel free. And, and I by no means know all the answers. Um, you know that I'm a sustainable development goal advocate, uh, which is basically the uh, Paris uh, Agreement, the 20. Uh, Agenda 2030, um, that is the world's first ever global moonshot plan of action. Um, 197 countries came together for the first time ever, unheard of, unprecedented, and agreed upon something. I mean, two, of, two countries alone can't decide where they're going to go to lunch or what they're going to do uh, on human rights or gender equality or whatever it is, let alone 197 countries decide on a roadmap, a plan of action, 17 goals. The sustainable development goals actually came before the Paris Agreement in September 24th, I believe it was, of uh, 2015. And then later, the, the Paris Agreement was decided upon and, and, and then later ratified. Um, but it's it's roadmap and it's an action plan with the dollar amounts uh, behind it, with backcasting studies. And uh, uh, there's just not enough discussions out there around it. I don't think people have understood what they are, grasped what they are. Um, I want to know if up until now you've applied it in your life and the companies you consult for and to their business models and to their systems so that they can make that uh, transition. But I also want to tell you that what's happened with this, this great pause, this pandemic, this reset, is those companies that did not invest in uh, environmental sustain, uh, uh, social governance, this ESG investments divest from fossil fuels and kind of put the environment or the SDGs in the forefront in their business models, they're ones that really didn't weather very good through the storm. But those who did have all weathered the storm pretty good and actually seen a little bit uh, of an uptick on, on how they, not only the first quarter, uh, last quarter of 2019, the first quarter of 2020, and moved on, but we're seeing a lot of other hard facts and numbers and that, you know, that's always the board or the company, uh, it's gonna be more costly. It's, is it worth it to, to, to make that transition? Um, what do you have to, to say to that? And, and uh, what are your thoughts on, on that plan? 
do you accept it? Are you, are you pushing it forward? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's difficult, right? I think when you're a startup or a small company, you have less, there's less interest in what you're doing. And you singly, you, you're usually a, a single business owner, or just a few people that own it. But when you become a public company, and this is where things get tricky, when you become public and listed, then you have different interests. And people that want to buy into your company, they're only doing it for the most part because they want to make money through your company. There are companies that have been started because they really believe in doing something that benefits everybody. And we know, you know most of the players, it would be like Patagonia and you probably know more, but I mean, there are companies out there that do that and they're still thriving, like you said. But it, also interesting, just as a side note, is if you look at, if we go back to the cars, since we live in Germany, it's such a huge car manufacturing yeah. uh, economy. Right now, the most valuable car company is not German. It's an American car company. It's Tesla, you know, and people, you know, I hear all the time how much they rail, you know, they just say uh, Tesla's quality is terrible and stuff. But I think for me, it's not only about the quality of a car. It's about the leadership and the vision. And nobody's saying Elon Musk is an amazing leader per se, but I think his vision is something that people believe in. And he is creating sustainable transportation for the most part versus if you compare it to companies like VW or whatever it might be, it definitely feels a lot more equitable for, for the, for the whole planet, I would say. Um, although, I mean, obviously like, you know, when they first started out, they created sports cars that cost 150,000 or something. So obviously yeah. that's not for everybody. <laughs> the roadster. Yeah. The roadster. So I think, yes, it's, but you, you know, it was just the business, it's the plan. So he's trying to bring it down. Tesla's trying to bring it down for everybody. And who knows if we need cars in the future? That's the other question. So a lot of times, I think it really is about understanding. It's about self-reflection, you know, I think, and I do a lot of consulting for companies like, you know, car manufacturers and you go in there and you talk to leaders and you, they want to do a lot of different changes, but in the end you ask them, what are you going to change in yourself? And sometimes they're hard pressed to answer that because they don't want to change. They're very comfortable. You know, why should I change? But I understand something has to change. So I think, yes, it's important, but I think COVID and the whole situation now has made it more relevant. Like you said. It definitely has. And I mean, that goes back to the sustainable development goals really because uh, a lot of people that one they weren't presented to us properly. A lot of people didn't understand that that that's really a plan and a roadmap to get us to a different type of future. And it's one that's uh, just to to break it down to the very simple things in, in relation to to our work and into business. It's a better business model. It's a better operating system to have a much more resilient, desirable future. You and I are already uh, our faculty on uh, Future IO Institute and do a lot uh, for futurism and, and thoughts around emerging technologies and creativity and, and the future of work and things. Um, we really need to quit waiting for the future to happen and start to create it. And there is a roadmap, there is a plan because a lot of people during this time of the pandemic, they're like, we, we've had this happen to us. We don't know what to do. We, we're we're going to go out and buy all the toilet paper we can and all the cleaning 
disinfectant stuff and and we kind of hit this panic mode because we don't have the resilience we don't know what the plan is and what the way we should be living so that we're going to weather it through this time okay where where we don't feel like we're in prison like we're stuck and and, and panicked and so there uh is something that's very with this great reset that the um the world economic forum um said that we truly need this great reset i just want to kind of express to you and and maybe you can portray this in in those you consult with and uh talk about the 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 benefits of it but in in all reality if during this COVID-19 time you have not implemented or set an expedient schedule aside to restructure your business models, your operations, and how your organization works, then you're just returning to normal or business as usual. Um, and, and, and that is a really bad thing because through the implementation of this distancing or reactionary personal protection equipment, this hygiene, disinfection, and distancing measures, you are only ushering in this question that, that I asked you, what's the future? Uh, a dystopian future. You're going to continue down a path in a model of reactionary measures so that eventually, actually, your entire organization will be wearing spacesuits or gas masks or oxygen masks to do their job. And most businesses will watch their organizations crumble uh, with these type of Band-Aid measures that cannot hold sustainably into the future. The real question is, is what we asked each other is, you must ask yourself, WTF, what is the future? If you push this model that we're currently on or the one that you've been working on out into the future, what does your organization, what does your life look like in the future? Will you be able to operate indefinitely? Uh, will you not be able to operate? I mean, in Germany is a big thing about the Turnus meat companies and, and everywhere in the world that operations have halted or created massive problems or layoffs or unemployment. Will this model that you're currently on be able to be pushed out indefinitely or is there a limit to growth in this existing model operations or your organization? It is truly each individual uh, business owner and individual's responsibility to drive this great reset from the World Economic Forum, from the UN, from the entire system to not go back to business as usual and lead on this sustainable innovation and return us to the safe operating spaces of our planetary boundaries because we truly are, as I said at the beginning of this year when, when we ha did your podcast, we are in a decade of action and now we're just emerging from this emergency and we need to build these resilient, desirable futures which we all desire to live in. I think that is really something so vital that that we we need to hear. And you you speak to to Zurich Insurance, Adidas, and and many other fabulous companies that you consult with and do things with. Um, and I'm sure that you've you with your 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 ethics and discipline that you've mentioned before. You know this is kind of where the future is going. This is how the transition and message needs to be 
um, because that's your, your personality, your style comes in. Um, I really believe that if, if, if we get this message and help them understand that the sustainable development goals are a global reset of all economic models. If you look at each individual thing, gender equality, quality education, zero hunger, no poverty, uh, you know, consumption and production, those are all such things, Jeremy, that uh, uh, that's a whole new model than we've ever operated on before. It's not just some kind of business as usual, it's a whole new plan. And, and I, I don't, a lot of people haven't grasped that. And, I, and that's kind of, well, my job's been in the, in, in the past and at the events we've been at, you hear me repeat it over and over again. And it's funny how some people come up to me and say, you know, boy, this is the fourth time I've heard you say that. And I thought you've always been saying the same thing, but now this time I actually got it and I understand it. Um, so I, I, I would like you to you know, maybe give your thoughts or feelings now that, uh, that you know how important and vital it is that we move in that direction. Uh, but also how, how can you per, kind of give that wisdom of what's the future to your, to your, your clients, those who you consult and advise for? Yeah. I mean, if historically speaking, we're, we just are in different patterns and there's a regular pattern of propagation of how things happen. And this has been studied by economics as well. So if you look at it, it's basically three, three steps. You have the installation period uh, and then you have a turning point, which is typically a recession where we are now. And then afterwards there's this deployment period or the golden age or this maturity yeah. phase. So, right. If you look at it, like historically speaking, I can tell you exactly industrial age happened, right? Industrial age. It was first about the machines, factories and the canal mania. You had a huge recession. And then afterward, it was a great British leap. You know, the British really took off. This was like in the 1790s to early 1800s. And then the age of steam happened, you know, 1829, it was railway mania. I, I mean, rail internets back then was like the railway. All of a sudden you had strangers coming into your backyard because they could get there yeah. because of the railways. There was a huge recession in 1848 through 1850. And then all of a sudden you had a huge boom, the Victorian boom where the British took off again. Another example, the age of steel. This is where where Germany really took off. So in 1875, you had a London, there was a global boom funded by London, funded by all their prosperity in the past. There was a huge crash, 1890, 1895. And then you had the Belle Epoque. And the age of steel was where Germany really took off because that's where Germany is strong is manufacturing and engineering. Yeah. And then the one we can, I mean, we didn't live in that time, but our grandparents, it's the age of oil. You know, you had the roaring 20s, you know, 1908. There was this huge crash, huge recession, the Great Depression, which we all know the, this photo of the migrant mother, you know, and the, and the child in the, in the dust bowls in the U.S. Yes. And then we had post-war golden age. What's interesting is this, this age in the 40s, this recession is similar to what we are doing now. But let me just move ahead. Age of information technology. That's where we are now. It started in 1971. There was a dot-com boom. There was a little recession. Um, it took off again, another recession. And now we're in a big recession now. And we don't know what's going to happen. I think that's what makes it interesting. Um, and if you look at what happened is basically the installation period, if you compare it, there was creative destruction. And then afterwards, creative construction. Installation period, exploration of new markets. In the deployment age, 
consolidation expansion of markets and back and forth supply push to demand pull financial capital and installation age to production capital so first you have people financing these things these things and then you have when it becomes deployed then companies can actually make these things and they produce capital from themselves and i think that makes it interesting so right now we have the same like i said in the 19 in the great depression we have very similar things happening you have uh, a nature this we call them the turning points right there's recession basically so what are so what's happening one of the things is structural unemployment people are losing their jobs even if they're well educated and stuff there's de-skilling there's this idea of hopelessness there's inequality that's rising another thing of the nature of turning point is xenophobia so you've had a lot, yeah. a lot more leaks, like trump and putin and whoever might be people that are really about the xenophobes you have economic migration, so people moving from one country to another to get a better opportunity. Yeah. You have this recession or even a Great Depression that we can relate to. And then the last thing is this idea of social unrest. And this happened in, in the Great Depression as well. So social unrest, people are becoming, I would say, disillusioned by the system and they want something else. So one thing that's happening or has happened in the past, in our recent past, is, is the yellow jackets in France, right? Yeah, it really started with some lady. She saw gas prices are so high, and she wanted to make a strike. And she, all of a sudden, this thing got huge in Paris. And it's—I don't know if it's still happening, actually, but that was part of it. You have casino finance. This idea of things are being financed, and they don't really—it's a gamble, basically. You have minuscule growth, and you have this populist, masonic leaders like Trump, you know, saying, "Hey, you know, it's not us; it's them versus us." And this all leads to a, the depression that's happening now and a huge recession. And then we don't know what's gonna happen afterwards, but I think it is gonna be another golden age. And I think to your point, it's the companies that really understand that the way we had done things in the past is not the way forward. It's really about understanding holistically, thinking holistically, it's about systems thinking, systems design, and understanding that the planet is more, it's not just about humans. You know, it's about the whole planet. And I think that's the opportunity. Basically, the symbiotic Earth, the spaceship Earth that we're all crew members. We're not passengers. We're crew members on spaceship Earth. Yeah, and which reminds me, because when I was in, in college, I was a really, really big fan of Buckminster Fuller. Yeah. And I just want to share with you a book I please, have. Please, please, please. Uh, let me pull this off the shelf real quick. Sure, go ahead. Tons of books back there for sure. I'm a big uh, fan of, of Bucky as well. So, so Bucky Fuller, um, he was this this he was like a uh, he, he did a bunch of stuff, and he I was a big fan of them. This is uh, your private sky. Let me see if I can get that in there. Yeah, yeah it's Bucky wonderful. Fuller, and he talks about Spaceship Earth, and he back then he created homes that were 100% equitable, I mean, sustainable, yeah. the geodisc dome, he did, invented that. And he would, had just a different way of understanding things. And if you're interested in this idea of Spaceship Earth and, and what has people have done in the past, he's up there with Da Vinci, in my opinion, as far as, you know, I'm a big out. fan of Bucky as well. So a lot of the people <laughs> I follow and I, I have all his books and, yeah. and uh, lo love the, the way uh, 
he designed the future and spoke about the future and, and created some actual real uh, solutions. There's a lot of those innovations and solutions, sustainable innovations coming out that we're seeing emerging today. Um, I, I like everything in this transition that, that, that you discussed and how you kind of, it's almost a big history is what you, what you just mentioned in your last comments. It was kind of a synopsis of big history. I believe in, in the New Deal, uh, 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 Franklin D. Roosevelt and the New Deal and how that went. Uh, there is the, the New Green Deal, uh, Jeremy Rifkin, uh, yeah. We've both been at DLD and he's spoken at DLD and, and then there's the, the green new deal um, uh, with the EU. And so there's this big push because fossil fuels are stranded assets. We, we need a different future. That future is based on uh, platform business models, which are systems thinking infrastructural business models that uh, are well thought out, complete and round. If you look at the top 10 companies in our world, they're all running a uh, dynamic platform business model. And uh, those are all involved with environmentalism, uh, social governance, this ESG, corporate social responsibility is all in there. Um, you know, they have a a food division, a partnership division, they have a digital transition uh, division and they're a complete platform infrastructural type of company and organization. So they get it. Uh, it's the ones that right now uh, are having to find out the hard way um, that that aren't that aren't getting it. And now we've, we've got the proof of, of the returns, the the ESG uh, divestments and investments that have been made that have really been performing out outperforming uh, the conventional uh, uh, investments. Um, uh, the Morningstar research, uh, uh, 24 out of 26, you know, ESG investments. And then the proof that you mentioned in the beginning through this pause and this reset last year, um, Earth Overshoot Day, the day we went beyond, beyond our finite resources was July 29th. With this pause and this reset, the time where we didn't move around as much, it moved to, to August 22nd. So I think that's what, 32 days that we gained, uh, you know, we actually were able to, to have an effect on it. Now, I, I think overall, uh, it wasn't the huge biggest effect that we, uh, in relation to what the world suffered and, and experienced. Um, but there is proof that we can turn on a dime. We can change the way we are. I mean, in the past, you mentioned the, the, the yellow jackets, um, but I've heard stories and news articles about people wearing burkas and, and face coverings, but now it's okay to wear face coverings and masks. But let's push that question out. What's the future? WTF uh, is the next step. So we're not going to just go for masks to live in the future. We're going to go into oxygen masks and, and uh, um, respirators and then spacesuits. That's not the future I want to live in. I want to fix it and, and have a business plan, an operational plan like the sustainable development goals that gets us to that resilient, desirable future. And so by just continuing on this business as usual, we're going to eventually be wearing spacesuits, but that's why we have this other model. And that's kind of why I pushed those, those ideas and thoughts. Europe and Germany, especially on this new green deal 
Jeremy Rifkin is really making that transition. The, the things that we're going to see are, are just unbelievable. I know uh, that it's going to happen in the moment. We might not see it and feel it, but it's, it's, really, it's really coming. Um, which brings me to, to the next question, and I believe you've already answered it with uh, WTF. It's an important um, question that might be the same, but what does a world that works for everyone look like for you? Well, that, that's, that is the question, isn't it? And I think I, I actually knew it was coming because of the podcast. That we got, so. <laughs> yeah. And I had more than enough time to reflect upon it. But I think it's, like, it used, like I said earlier, it's something that's equitable for everyone. So my opinion does count, but I think what you mentioned was the companies that are successful and the, the initiatives that are successful are diverse in thought and perspective. And I think that's the future that I see. It's one that it has diversity. It doesn't have all the answers. It's really questions. It's about really great questions and finding the answer. And sometimes those answers are not that easy to find. So you go on a, a journey, so to, so to speak, a journey to find that answer. And that question has to be formulated from more than just one person. We talked about that earlier. You know, is, is it a singular person or entity or organization that owns this thing? I, I don't think it is. I think, you, I think you even mentioned that the ESGs were made up from a, a group of diverse people um, and different interests that made that. And that's why it's so successful or it has been launched in the way that it has been launched because it isn't just a singular view. So for me, a world that I wanna live in is diverse. It's always questioning the status quo. There's a huge bias towards action and it's really putting the value in people and understanding that people together with the planet, together with animals, together with the systems that we live in are gonna make the future worth living. What, what can we expect to see from uh the compound Jeremy in the future, what's your, uh, uh, some things that we can be watching out for and looking for that's going to be coming from you in the next five to 10 years? Yeah, earlier I spoke about these transitions, these patterns of propagation. And right now we are in this turning point. And I think what's important to say is during this transition and during this turning point, um, into the deployment age, the deployment period, it's the worst time to go back to the old ways of doing things. So what I won't do is what I've done in the past. Um, what that means is concretely is right now I'm working in an early stage startup. It's, it's, using, uh, it's using people, it's a learning platform, and it's using uh, obviously people, this one-to-one -one connection we have with one another and machine learning uh, to create personalized self-directed learning. Uh, that's one thing. And the other thing is I'm just going to be constantly trying things out, constantly learning, um, hopefully still consulting with companies, but actually not just consulting, but building things and uh, meeting new people and doing things. Obviously travel has been curtailed immensely, but I think that's also one reason why I'm trying to, uh, upscale my skills, my skill set. you know, I'm learning. Uh, Flutter, which is a program, it's like a framework for programming basically in different uh, 
different platforms, Android or iOS. I'm also doing other things, um, not just on the computer. So I think that's what you can look forward to is probably less travel just by, by not by choice, but by the environment that we're set upon, but also about building and trying new things out and really putting those out in the world. I think that makes things interesting. Thank you for sharing that. So I've always seen you as someone with this cosmic perspective or this overview effect. And maybe I associate that with you because of the, the simple fact that you do the drone, you know, so in Salzburg, we were at the uh, um, future IO salon or uh, Institute uh, thing in Salzburg, and you did the, the drone that flew up and you've done it at H farm in several different places. But I've also felt that your view and your perspective as a creative evangelist that you've always kind of had that overview effect of, of seeing the future, seeing the bigger picture, connecting things, not only in, in those, those flights, those moments of capture, but all, uh, in, in the big picture. Um, so so I, I, love to, I love to hear that and I hope to see more of those things from you as well. Um, with that in perspective, uh, we used to travel a lot, uh, obviously, before the pandemic, uh, be right before I was in, um, in Thailand, and uh, then after I was in the United States, and I actually got stuck in the US and then uh, experienced an earthquake there and didn't think I was going to get back to, to home base. So there was all sorts of experiences. I can tell you, um, with a little bit of futurism and foresight that the knowledge that I have of where we're going to be in the future, that absolutely not. I'm hopeful and optimistic that I know enough that we will get back to air travel. Um, there are some things on this year and next year's radar for air travel that you would not believe of uh, sustainable, resilient, uh, uh, desirable air travel. Um, 2024, five passenger autonomous drone taxis from Ilium, and that's just one company. There's at least 124 companies just like that are doing electric vertical takeoff uh, type of helicopters that are 100% electric. There's a uh, um, Boeing and Airbus and Hyundai and many others working on electrical air travel that's at a commercial scale that have dates and deadlines like 2025. So, and, and that's just one sector of our logistics, transport and travel that's going to change in the future and uh, allow us to, to travel again and to make that transition to not only the, the Green New Deal or the New Green Deal, however you wanna phrase it, but to that sustainable future that we wanna be in because we want to spread the message, we want to, be outside and away from computers and interact with people and and do those things so uh, i hope that uh, you won't get caught up in this moment and say oh dang i've got to get ready to wear that space suit or i'm going to be working online programming my whole life i think that uh, you we will be seeing each other even though we're in the same city we could actually see each other now but uh, uh that our future is going to be much much different um with one departing words uh, before I let you go uh, with, with that, which what I've said, if you could 
individually go up to each person and give them one message or one sustainable takeaway of something that they need to hear that will change their life and lay them on a course for a different future, the one that we want to have or see, what would that message be? Do you have one? My message would be twofold. I mean, the more immediate thing would be right now that during the transition into the deployment period, it's the worst time to fall back to old ways. I, I said that before. So don't go back to thinking we're going to do things the way they were because they won't. You know, we, we're moving forward. And the other thing is, it's probably more hopeful is there's basically two things in the world that are infinite. It's number one, the, the, the systems are global, our solar systems. They're infinite. The galaxy is infinite. And the other thing is human imagination. It's infinite. We do not know what we can come up with as humans. And I think that's what makes life so interesting. It's infinite. You know, right now we're here today and things are happening, but tomorrow someone else is going to be here and they'll think of something totally different. And I think that's what makes life so interesting is it's really about understanding that it's not been all invented. Life is infinite and the stories we make and decide to share are also infinite. I agree. We're just tickling the surface. We're just getting started. So yes. we've got to create that future for those wonderful family of yours and um, for our future. Thank you so much, Jeremy. It's been a pleasure and uh, I, I'm glad uh, that you've been on and I hope that we can have many more discussions and maybe revisit this in a year again. Most definitely. Thanks for the invitation, Mark. It's been a delight.